welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Holzma, and I am so glad that you were able to join me today for this episode. You are absolutely going to love it. I have Allison Pittman here, and she's talking about her new book, Laura's Shadow. If you are anything like any of the readers that I know, one of the first big books, if you want to call it that, that you ever read was Little House in the Big Woods and that whole series by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And Alison Pittman does a dual time book that Laura isn't the star of, but she appears in and she has a very influential role in it. And it's, I'm going to say about it, it's a fabulous book. Allison is going to tell us more about it, but oh, you guys, so good. And it just fed right into that love that I've had for Laura Ingalls Wilder since I was a little girl. So it's a great interview. But before we get to Allison, just a couple of quick reminders. Number one, subscribe. Please do that on your favorite podcasting platform. I don't want you to miss out on any of these great guests that we have coming up for the rest of the year. And second of all, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and also Pinterest under Christian Historical Fiction Talk. And we talk about books there, and I let you know when I have a new episode coming out. Sometimes we do polls, sometimes we just chat, whatever. So please join us over there and get involved in the conversation. And lastly, head over to my website, liztolsma.com, and consider becoming a patron of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. You'll get lots of great bonuses, and you'll help keep this podcast going. I really appreciate it. Okay, that's all you want to hear from me. Trust me, Allison is a fabulous guest, and she is here now to share with us about her new book, Laura's Shadow. Welcome to the show, Allison. It is so good to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I've been so excited about this. When I saw Laura's Shadow was coming out, it's part of Barber's Doors to the Past series, And then I read the back cover copy for Laura Shadow and probably me and everyone else who's read the back cover has to be like, I've got to read this book. Anything to do with Laura Ingalls Wilder, I have to read this. And so then I knew that I had to talk to you about this book. But before we get to Laura's shadow, why don't you just start off? I know you've been with the program before, like way at the beginning when I first started this, but remind us a little bit of who you are and what you like to do. Well, I write mostly historical fiction and have been, I've got 20 something novels published under my little belt, which is pretty exciting. And uh, Laura's shadow is my latest one. I did one YA book called Pudge and Prejudice, which was fun to write for the teen audience. But my first love is always history. Anything that I can do that can kind of take me back into the past and find the stories that are hidden there. That's my thing. That's what I like to watch. That's what I like to write. That's what I like to talk about and study. So I'm a just a huge, huge history nerd. And <laughs> And anytime that I can kind of mess with it a little bit, that's really pretty much my favorite thing to do. (laughs) So then 
tell us about Laura's shadow. Like I said, I just couldn't get enough when I read the back cover. I had to buy the book right away. I had to read it right away. I was all in. Well, there's there's a little bit of a of a darkness really to the germ of this book because I remember completely the first time I saw a photograph of Laura Ingalls because I grew up reading the books, checked them out of my school library, got them for a Christmas gift when I was in third grade. And, and I only knew Laura from those illustrations that are in the book. And when uh, it was, I was, you know, in college working at a bookstore and there was a book and it had, it's a, it's a photograph that people who really follow Laura will recognize. It's a, her and Mary and Carrie. And it was taken right at the end of the long winter. And they all look so gaunt and unhealthy. Laura's fist is clenched at her side. And she just does not look like that bright brown-eyed girl from the Garth Williams illustrations. And ever since then, I'm thinking, I love the stories, but I also realize how idealized they are. And that prairie life was, was hard. And it, and they tucked that away and never thought of it again for years and years and years and years. But then when I was asked, you know, to, to do another story for the Doors of the Past series, I thought, well, I've got to go back to Laura. You know, I've, I've always wanted to write about Laura and I never have. And it occurred to me that not everybody would agree, not all of Laura's peers would see their life the same way that that Laura had it recorded in her novels. Laura kind of skates past some of the hunger and some of the cold, and and she goes to become this famous, famous person. And I thought, what about the people that she hung out with? (laughs) Like, she had friends. She had other people who didn't make it into the story. And I thought I kind of wanted to delve into that a little bit. So as I was studying her, I was reading the annotated biography. And it mentioned her first school and these students that she had. And we all know them from the these happy golden years, Charles and Martha and, and uh, the other three. But it said they could not authenticate Charles and Martha. They couldn't say for sure who they were, if they, they couldn't find records of these people. And I thought, oh, there we go. <laughs> There's somebody that is in Laura's orbit in the novels but not a hundred percent documented in history. So here's somebody that I can pluck out of those pages and give her her own story. And, and that's where Mariah comes from. In Laura's novel, she's known as Martha, but I changed her name and, and had her realize that her name had been changed. And I thought now I can have that little nugget of her life and then just think, what if somebody didn't like Laura? You know, we, she's America's sweetheart. At one point in Laura's shadow, the contemporary call, character calls her the little bachelorette on the prairie. You know, she's just so beloved. I thought, what if there was somebody who didn't love her? What if there was somebody who like really didn't get her as much as we all like to think and sort of took off from there. Plus my crush on Cap Garland. That cannot go. I, I, <laughs> I always thought Almanza was fine, but ever since I was a little girl, I had a crush on Cap Garland. And it's like, if I can write a historical romance with Cap Garland, I'm doing that too. So, 
I keep myself entertained. Yes. And that's the fun about writing is we can do that, can't we? I'm just basically writing for myself and then I hope everybody else enjoys it too. So. Well, and I thoroughly did. I devoured it. I couldn't read it fast enough. I loved it so much. And it wasn't just the Laura Ingalls Wilder aspect to it, but it was the whole package that I really loved. Now you mentioned that when you were growing up, you checked out the Laura Ingalls books from the library. You got them for Christmas, like when you were in third grade. Me too. I watched, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a little younger than you, but I watched the whole television series faithfully every week. There I was in front of the TV. I wanted to be Laura Ingalls Wilder. What is it that drew you to her in the first place when you were very young? I think it was one, I, I, I always loved history. So that history has always been my thing. And I loved the fact that her, that the books linked together as we got to see her grow up from being a little girl, the same age as me when I started reading the books, all the way up to her being a grown up married woman. These happy golden years was the first romance I ever read. You know, it's the first time I ever read a story that followed the relationship of a man and a woman. And I'm thinking, what a, a risk that had to have been because she knew her audience. She knew her audience were children. But to be able to say, you know, we don't need to just end her story where she's right at the same age and places where the readers are. All of us who are reading those stories are going to grow up to be women. We're going to grow up to have marriages and courtships and things like that. And I just, I wanted to have that life trajectory. Now, part of me, honestly, once we went to visit my grandmother's house and their plumbing went out and we had to use the outhouse. And I was so excited to use an outhouse, like a real outhouse. <laughs> that was the best thing that ever happened uh, the first time. After that, I was ready to not use the outhouse right. anymore. <laughs> Right. So I loved those those details of the history. But I, I also just loved picking up in her life and being able to kind of project myself into an older version of myself. And what would I become and what would I be and what would I do? And I think that's what drew me. I would finish reading these happy golden years and then I would go check out Little House in the Big Woods and read them all again. And they so hold up if you go back and read them as an adult, you know, you read them through a yeah. really different lens. It's really something to read these happy golden years and come to that part where Laura says, I'm not going to promise to obey you when they take their wedding vows. And to think about how progressive that was at the time, you know, uh, and yeah. to, and to telegraph that to the little girls saying you, look for the man that is not going to make you obey him. A friend and I have a thing saying, you know, I need a man who will knock the snot out of a horse's nose for me because that's what Almanzo does in the blizzard. Like, <laughs> it, it, So there's also this whole idea that, that she's teaching girls how to be women, how to be really strong and independent thinkers that I don't think she gets nearly enough credit for. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned 
your crush on Cap Garland. Why, why this crush on him? And why did you turn him without giving too much away? Why did you turn him into the character that you did in the book? If you had such a crush on him? Well, so one who doesn't love a bad boy, right? So he's a little bit of a bad boy. Uh, He, you know, goes around with Mary and snatches her little wig off of her head. He's the one who goads Almanza into driving out to get the wheat saying, you know, God hates a coward. And he had, and he's, and he's 16 years old at the time, even though he and Almanza were friends, he was more Laura's contemporary than he was Almanza's. And he just remains this bachelor about town in doing just some of my research reading and learning that he was a baseball star in Desmet. He never married. And so I just think, you know, why couldn't he have been this kind of a, a little bit of a hound? Okay. Not, not as much of a hound as his reputation is the reputation that I give him in the book, but he doesn't mind having that reputation as being a little bit of a ladies man. He was very handsome. And there's a a tidbit that I read that said that he and Laura actually kind of had a little crush on each other. And that the first time that he asked Almanzo, or he kind of egged Almanzo in to walk Laura home that first time, Cap was actually kind of urging Almanzo to another girl, not Laura. So who knows what, what could have happened, but he was Laura's schoolmate. And I just think that he could have just never, ever recovered from his love for Laura. Why not? You know, to see her go off with this Almanzo guy. Maybe he needed to get her back. Yeah. Very interesting. I love the spin that you put on him. And I actually had to go online and research what happened to him. I won't give it away, but what happened to him in real life. So readers, if you want to figure that out, if you want to find that out, it's easy enough to Google and find out what happened to him after the close of the books. All right. So now I've never been to any of the Laura Ingalls Wilder places, which is really, really bad since I live in Wisconsin. (laughs) But you you went to Dismet, Mm -hmm. South Dakota to research the book. Tell me a little bit about that. It was, I needed to do two things. I had to find for the contemporary and the contemporary in this split time is set in like 1974. So it's historical in its own right. But I needed to find a, a the neighborhood in Minneapolis for my contemporary heroine. And then I just needed to see what it was like to drive from Minneapolis to Desmet. And it is like going through a time machine. It's Desmet's a lovely town, but it it looks historical. It's like it's perfectly preserved. And the day that we went. There were all these wildfires in, I think, in Canada. So the, it was really hazy and smoky and the air smelled really sweet. I, get, I, I don't know what that was about, but had something to do with the smoke. But to go into the classroom that was the replica of Laura's first classroom at the Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum that they have there in Desmet, they have, it's not the actual shanty, but it's the, the right dimensions. And I like my husband was with me. He could practically touch both walls, just mm-hmm. spanning his hands. And so the 
thought of that being Laura's classroom. And I don't know if we mentioned, I'm a teacher, I teach middle school and she would be in that room, which is smaller than the room I'm currently sitting in with these six students and all of them just crammed in there with the snow piling up outside. I can't even imagine the confines where everybody lived. And I did take a trip out to Cap Garland's grave. It's out in a, I'm blanking on the name of the town where it is, but we drove out to it and we were the only car in the cemetery. We were the only people anywhere. And this little road dead ends at a cornfield and got out of the car. And I pretty much replicate this exact scene (laughs) in the novel, in the contemporary story. And it's just the wind rustling through the corn and the smoke in the air and just this silence that's out there. And I think we don't, especially if you live in a town, it's hard to get away from noise. And so when you go someplace where it's just so suffocatingly quiet. But then we, I think about those men and women who grew up in those days, you know, before we had all of our cities and all of our noise, that that quiet to us can be a comfort. But I know for a lot of them, there was just a loneliness that was there. And part of what just pokes its head in, in Laura's shadow is having this character, Mariah, who has lived over a century. And she was Laura's student in that teeny tiny little cabin. And she lives almost long enough to see the Little House on the Prairie series on TV. And to think about what happens over the course of that long of a lifetime, you know, that's what I really kind of wanted to dig into was what's it like watching history pass right underneath your nose and walking up to Dismet, it felt like that. It felt like I've just seen history because I know this place. Yeah. Oh, that must've been really, really cool. And that's a great segue moving away from the Laura Ingalls Wilder focus for a little bit. The 1974 heroine is a comic strip creator. Now I've talked before on this show, how much I love authors who create characters with really unique occupations. But I think this one takes the cake as the most unique (laughs) occupation. Why did you choose that for her? (laughs) You know, it was not in any of my pre-planning stages, I will have you (laughs) know. I always had her as an artist. I always knew that she was an artist because I wanted to play with the illustrations in the in the books and the the switch of illustrators when they went to Garth Williams from the original. And so I wanted her to have that artistic tie-in. And then I just kept thinking about her, it's her great-grandmother, and that what I just talked about, that spanning of history. And I thought, we, I, I want somebody who lives with a foot in both worlds, but you can't really do that with a real person because you're either extremely old, you know, mm-hmm. or you, you just can't. But in a comic strip, yes, you can. <laughs> you can just create this, that they don't have to have an explanation. So she creates this character called Lost Laura. And it's a girl who is, you have to imagine 
that she was plucked straight from the prairie and plopped right into modern society. And it's her trying to to cope with all of that, you know, and getting to see how things have changed through the eyes of somebody who would not be able to comprehend those changes. She's a little bit of Kathy. I was a huge Kathy comic strip <laughs> fan. I yeah. loved her. And I don't know, Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> I don't know what all she is. But it was very much a vehicle to talk about the changes, especially for women and and what women can have and what women can do. I was just talking with one of my classes today about how there was a time where if there was a school dance, guys could go stag or guys could go as a group of guys, but a girl had to have a date. If you didn't have a guy date to the dance, you couldn't go. And that was not that long ago. That was me in high school in the eighties. You had to have, you had to have a date if you were a girl, but guys could all go stag and do whatever they wanted to. And it's like, well, why is, is this happening? So yeah, that's how, that's how Lost Laura came about was somebody to give commentary without having it just be Trixie giving commentary on the changes of women in society. She's very much a women's liber, you know, she was a fan of that girl and Mary Tyler Moore and all of that, but I didn't want her to be insufferable in her commentary. So she has this kind of comic little character who can do that for her. Oh, just genius. I love that. And I, I want to read that comic strip. I, <laughs> I picked right. up on the Kathy reference there. So I did catch that. I it sounds like you and I are of the same era. Yeah. So I caught on, on to all of that. But you know, anybody out there wants to take a shot at sketching a lost Laura and uh, Instagramming it and tag me with it. I would love to see that. I am not an artist, so I cannot draw anything. But she's so cute with her little braids that dance around. I just, I just love her. Yeah. Oh, I did too. You were the first book in the Doors to the Past series. And we were talking off air. We don't know how long this is going to go, but you've written another one. You're the only one, as far as I know, if I've been keeping up correctly, who has two books in the Doors to the Past series. What's the best thing? What has been the best thing about writing for this series? I love being able to dip my toe in contemporary settings. In Lady in Residence, the contemporary was, you know, flat out the, you know, the 2020s contemporary. This is, you know, more modern than not. But that's not anything that I'm truly interested in pursuing long-term full-length books that are all contemporary settings. But I do like every now and then for people to have a cell phone. (laughs) That's just fun. (laughs) Trixie has an answering machine, which is like the huge technological leap in this one in her storyline. And I do like being able to write stories to show how the past informs the present. I need to have a clear connection, a character connection, not just an, an object or a setting or a secret, but the idea that the two kind of feed into each other. So it's very challenging. I like the challenge of it too. It's like a puzzle when you're writing. I don't, I don't know how other authors do it. I can't write the whole contemporary story and then the whole historical. I have to write it the way the reader turns the page. So 
finding where's a good place to end, finding how much do I have to give away here and how much do I hold back until the next time. The challenge of writing a dual timeline is fantastic. My writer's brain absolutely loves it. I agree very much so. I think it was on your website that I saw this and I loved this. You said you lulled yourself to sleep when you were a child by crafting stories. I did the exact same thing. I had to take my, I was a child that had a lot of fear. And so I would make up these wonderful stories to keep my mind occupied while I fell asleep. Can you just tell us a little bit about why you did that and how that sort of led into writing, if it did at all? I have never talked about this. So this is so funny because I still kind of do that in a way. It's never anything with conflict. It's like a different way of counting sheep. So this, I'm going to sound like such a dorko, but when I would, I would craft these like contemporary after school romancy type stories. And they always in my head starred Valerie Bertinelli because I thought she was just <laughs> the end all be all of womanhood. So I, I they're, there y'all know. And uh, I would, uh, one night I would just close my eyes and I would picture the setting. And when I think about it now, I was doing this in, you know, middle school and it's exactly what I get from craft books or, or writers conferences or anything. Now I would have her meet whoever the person was going to be. And I would decide where it was going to happen. And I would craft up the dialogue and where they were. And I would, what is she wearing and what is he wearing? And then the next day would be like their first date and where did they go and what did they order? And then it would be the next date. And then I would bring in a conflict. (laughs) I would spend weeks. And if I couldn't come up with, with something new, I would just start at the beginning all over again and, and just go. And it's, for me, it kept my mind focused And a lot of times I would go to sleep right away. And I do that even now. It's, I know that sounds silly, but when I can't sleep, I'll imagine, okay, I have a a heroine who is going on a cross country trip and she can only take one suitcase. What is she going to put in her suitcase? And I'll make myself list everything that goes in her suitcase until I go to sleep. It's my counting sheep thing that I do, but I did. And I would get I would get where I would be so excited to go to bed because I was going to get back to my story. (laughs) (laughs) The world does not need to to be exposed to the romantic imaginings of me as a 12 year old, but they were probably brilliant. (laughs) I'm sure they were. And I did fan fiction in my head, you know, so I had Cap Garland stories that I, would run out with my one of my favorite books was a little princess or the little princess yes oh yes that that book I tell you that book made me want to be cold and hungry like that (laughs) I thought that was the most glamorous thing in the world was to have no food and to be cold but I would tell myself stories about that little girl and different rescues and different adventures that she would have. So I would take these other characters and stories from my favorite books and I would just make up my own. I love that. And it's so great to find a kindred spirit who (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> understands what I did <laughs> and what I still do sometimes like you. Yes, for sure. <laughs> well, I, I can't believe how fast the time has flown by. Oh my gosh. If, yes. Yeah. I, it, we could just keep going. I have so many more questions. We might have to have a part two. I don't, we'll talk about it, but <laughs> if readers would like to connect with you and stay up to date with you, find out what's coming up from you, how can they keep in touch with you? They can go to my Allison Pittman author Facebook page. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Allison K. Pittman. And my website is alisonkpittman.com. But my website is really out of date. So give me a minute to clean up. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I say that, it's like if you're inviting somebody over and you know your house is a mess, you're like, don't (laughs) surprise me. Let me just update some things and get that done. Yeah, got it. Do you have any (laughs) last words for the listeners? You know, just thank, I'm so thankful for listeners and so thankful for readers that let me, you know, I think about little me in my bed, imagining a romance with Valerie Bertinelli starring in it. And now I get to take some of what used to just give me calm and peace and entertain myself with it and be entertained along with me. There's nothing better than telling a good story. And when you know that people are into it and they're enjoying it. And so I'm just fueled and energized and encouraged by people who will leave a good review or leave a good comment or a challenging one. So there's a, some challenging aspects to Laura's shadow too, that I love to talk about. So just thank you. Thank you for letting writers live our dreams. Well, this has been an awful lot of fun. I have really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day to chat with us. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Allison was such a wonderful guest. I had so much fun talking to her. We could have gone on and on for a very, very long time. But trust me, you are going to love Laura's shadow. So head over to my website, liztolsma.com. I have more about the book there. I have a handy link for you to go ahead and get your own copy because you are going to want to do that. And then I have more about Allison Pittman there. So check all of that out. There's also a link to her website so you can go and check on her, but give her a hot minute to get it, you know, spiffed up a little bit and be sure to check that out there as well. Next week, we have another terrific guest. She's another returning guest who hasn't been here in a while, and that is author Amy Lynn Green. She has a new book coming out. I think by the time the show airs, it will be out. And that is called The Blackout Book Club. It is a World War II novel, which Amy Lynn Green is so good at. I just love her World War II books. This one is Homefront, about a librarian and a book club. And need I say more, it just sounds so good. It has everything in it that a reader will love and secrets and fabulous sounding. So I'm really looking forward to my discussion with Amy Lynn Green. I know you will just enjoy it as much as me. So please come back next week and check out my conversation with Amy Lynn Green about her book, The Blackout Book Club. That's about all I have for this week. 
thank you guys so much for listening, for tuning in, for being loyal listeners. I really appreciate it for sharing with your friends and family who love Christian historical fiction about the podcast so they can check it out too. And for those who are new here, thank you for joining us today. And I hope that you come back for some more great guests and more great topics that we have coming up in the following weeks. Thank you so much. Have a great week and we will see you next time. 